When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko, your numbers and film breakdown on the 5-2 Cleveland Browns. Getting ready for the Vegas Raiders on Sunday. Two big discussions each and every time we talk to you guys. We appreciate everybody who's listening. Welcome aboard. You kind of have the gist by now. So let's go. We're going to start with Ellis this week. And then the second half, we'll get to Scott. And Scott is going to talk about Browns linebackers, their progress. We talked about them earlier in the year. We're almost at the halfway point. How they looking. Raiders got a tight end who might test them a little bit on Sunday. So that's the second half. But first half is, listen, we get it. Everyone's talking and writing about Odell. But this is specific, specific, specific routes, players, assignments, the actual jobs of the receivers who are going to try to make up for the loss of Odell Beckham. Dive in, Ellis Williams. Yeah, this was an interesting week. Um, I've watched more tape on uh, middle-class receivers than I thought I ever would. I've seen um, almost every snap Cordell Hodges ran this year. And and being uh, having an appreciation for the position made this one fun. So what I want to do here is essentially do three mini deep dives on the three players that we expect have their roles greatly altered or changed due to Odell Beckham Jr.'s absence now. That's Richard Higgins, rookie Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Cordell Hodge, who's now coming off the injured reserve after tweaking that hamstring uh, in warm-ups versus Dallas. So three things I want to highlight through these mini deep dives, three important questions that must be answered are this. First, what have they done so far? Second, what do I project their role to be? And third, what's the biggest question they've had yet to answer? So, Doug, with you being our host, I'm going to let you choose our own adventure here. Which receiver do you want to start out on? We got we got three dives here. Who do you want to hear first? Can I, can I start off with this first? First, yeah, go, go for it. I said before the podcast, we're going to keep it tight. We're going to keep it nice and tight. I got a little nine minute tangent here. I now we're, we're already deviating from that. I just want to make it clear as people look for sort of our bona fides on a podcast like this, like why, why are we qualified to talk about this? I would just like to remind people that in high school, I played golf and tennis. Ellis, you are a receiver. Do people know that about you? Do you, I mean, you've got a little bit of that receiver kind of diva personality. So it's not a shock that you're a receiver, but I, Scott is raising his hand. Scott, what are you? I was the best wide receiver in the history of Avon middle school <clears throat> recess. So I think that's important to note. It was a different game back then, but I think my stats hold up. So I, he's not the only receiver here is what I'm saying. 
We will get the film on Scott's recess and we will bring that up. Uh, maybe on the bye week, we'll do Scott Patsco recess film breakdown. Ellis, you played at a slightly higher level than middle school recess though, right? Slightly, yeah. Uh, Division three, UW Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Um, enjoyed my high school days, wanted to keep it going. And it is a position that I have a great appreciation for. And, you know, people who want to Google Ellis Williams, UW Eau Claire, you'll find uh, we didn't win a lot of games and I didn't catch a whole lot of balls. But um, I'm at every meeting and you learn the position um, a lot deeper at those levels. So as I've then since graduated, you just try to learn more. And it's, it's a fascinating position. And I take that compliment with the wide receiver diva. You got you to have that sort of swagger when you're playing out there on an island. And I hope I bring that on the podcast every once in a while, too. All right. So the, the receiver I'd love to have you break down is yourself, Ellis Williams. Right. That I want to hear. But since the only three options are Browns players, let's start with Rashard Higgins, who seemingly this week was like, it's my time. I'm here to start. This is what he's been waiting for, and I like it. So what, how is this, this going to work for him? Yeah, it's a great place to start, and I definitely think he's the most fascinating prospect in this group, as in the player whose role has the greatest chance, chance to increase. So let's start with what have they done so far. And after I get through this, because I'm only talking about what they've done in the 2020 season so far, I think you two will be a, a great uh, resource for what Higgins has done prior to this. I mean, he has, a, of course, a, a long history now with the Browns, and you two can speak to that. But starting in 2020, some healthy scratches for Richard Higgins. Uh, just wasn't a player that Stefanski needed activated due to stuff that uh, guys like JoJo Natson was doing, Cordero Hodge. Higgins didn't really have a role. Week five, he comes in, earns a PFF grade of 67.5 overall, three catches, 31 yards, and scores. He played 55% of the snaps. Some things I noticed throughout his time so far this year when he's had an increased role, all of his catches except two, which came in the Bengals game, came when Baker Mayfield was out of shotgun. The reason I find that interesting is because if he's going to be an every down receiver for this team, he's going to have to make plays with Baker playing under center. That's how this team is best position to now be a run first. I mean, this now without Odell, this seems going to be a run first and run second team. So what Higgins has done though, has been successful out of shotgun. Baker looks for him out of his first read. We saw that in the Bengals game, um, his first and 10 catch of eight yards. It was a quick hitch route. He's the first read there on that game winning or on, excuse me, on the drive before the game winner, he's able um, then to have that second and second play a shotgun 30 yard out and up from the same spot. The outside receiver spot goes out and up and makes a play. So those are two examples. First of his Colts game, having the, the only being looked at targeted and having receptions out of shotgun and earning a 70 overall grade. Then the Bengals game, when his roles increased most, again, all but two of his catches coming out of shotgun. And he actually earned a 90 overall PFF grade in that game. So what Higgins has done in a nutshell He's made plays with Baker Mayfield out of shotgun. He has gone and gotten the football and been a guy Baker can rely on. And I think that's something you guys will touch on here when we talk about Higgins before this season. And he's been a guy who can make intermediate pass plays and be where Baker needs him to be. That is what Higgins has been so far. And now as we go forward, the question will be what he has become. But I want to ask you guys first, unpack Richard Higgins for me. What was he before Freddie Kitchens even what 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 has been this area's fascination with Richard Higgins because I got here in the middle of it all and he is clearly a fan favorite and someone Baker Mayfield looks to and relies on 
Yeah, I can I can get into that. I remember when he was drafted, uh, he told Dan Lavy that his goal was to have seven touchdown catches as a rookie. Uh, he was very confident. He had the Hollywood nickname, so people kind of clamored onto that. He had six catches as a rookie. So obviously he didn't meet those goals. Then the next year he was waived and put on the practice squad. So it kind of seemed to fall apart, but he worked his way back up. The big thing with him is in 2018, when Baker showed up, they were both on the second team throughout camp and they kind of created this connection I mean, you saw it every day in camp, Baker throwing to Rashard Higgins because he was pretty much his best option on the second team. So that's where that kind of started. And then it kind of carried over into the season. He has 39 catches and it was, it was, you know, it was a pretty good year. He scored a few times. So that's where that all started. And I think the lore of, you know, Rashard Higgins has this connection with Baker Mayfield. That's what it all stems back to is that rookie camp for Baker, second team reps. And then, you know, Higgins kind of, producing more than he had to that point during the regular season. But then, you know, ever since then, we haven't really seen that. And Higgins has had his issues just getting on the field. So it's, it's kind of reverted back to the wrong directions over the last couple of years. The thing that's hard for me about Higgins is for as different, it seems that Freddie Kitchens and Kevin Stefanski are as head coaches and maybe the different ways they want to run an offense. Freddie didn't like him and Stefanski doesn't like him. So like both, bo- they are united in, and by not liking, I mean not playing him, not activating him. I don't know. I don't know that it's personal, but it sure felt like maybe he was in the doghouse last year. But if you expected like, hey, here's a revival. Now listen, I get it, Jarvis and Odell, right? I get it. But he wasn't out there instead of Kadero Hodge, and so that that is hard for me to get past. That the last two years, neither head coach really had. Higgins in their plans when they had any other options. I, I thought maybe some of this had to do with blocking, but Higgins has been as good of a blocker as Kadero Hodge and, you know, even Jarvis Landry. And it was Higgins who had a huge block on that Dernis Johnson run. I believe it was, oh uh, no, it was it the Cowboys. I can't remember exactly who, but Dernis yeah, Johnson yeah. had that big, yeah. yeah, he had the big uh, like 28 yard run that kind of sealed the deal. And, and Higgins was out there on the edge throwing a big block. So, it can't be blocking. It's, it, it is kind of a mystery. So let's, let's try to unpack why it might be that these coaches don't seem to find a place for Richard Higgins in their rotation until he's forced to play. Higgins measurable, six foot one, 200 pounds, runs a four, six, four, 40. That's a time that football coaches just wince at. And I can vouch for that because that's around a, a 40 speed that I can relate to. I was not going to sit here and run all the way past the other. It was more twitch in my game, intermediate stuff, quick bursts, but I wasn't going to get past you. And that's what I think coaches have in mind when they see Richard Higgins. You put the tape on and you he can create enough separation, but even the, the Bengals catch that he had that set up the game winner, which is he admitted was the catch of his NFL career and only comparable to a catch he had in college – that's peak Richard Higgins. That's the best you're going to get. And I'm not trying, that's not a knock. That's just, he's not a yards after the catch guys. What I'm saying, he's not a guy that you have to worry about beating you deep, despite he can do it sometimes, but his degree of difficulty is so much higher. So now as we go to project his role going forward, I gave you the measurables. I, I gave you the stats, eight of his 10, either targets or receptions have come out of shotgun. They've come from first, all of, um, of his catches, versus the Bengals were Baker Mayfield's first read. So that's that intermediate to um, first read options that Baker's comfortable in. It makes sense that Kevin Stefanski placed Higgins in, the, in that role, whether by chance 
or by game plan, having Higgins as your first read for a guy like Baker, who clearly trusts him, makes sense for this offense. So based on stats, what I saw on tape of him being a guy that can separate, he had an impressive slant, a deep slant uh, reception versus the Bengals as well. Uh, you know, three hard vertical steps, a, a shake outside, completely opened the Bengals receiver's hips, and he broke inside and made that diving catch. But again, that's no yak. Uh, 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 you'd like to see a receiver keep his feet and run through that catch and perhaps score, but he, whether it's for a lack of quickness or just his ball, his, his confidence in catching the football, he chose to go to the ground there. And then that's just 10 when it could have been 15, 20 or possibly more. So here's where, how I project Richard Higgins role to change going forward. He said yesterday in his, in the interviews that he's starting. I, I don't know if the coaches were too happy to hear him say that. That's not, that's the type of stuff you uh, coaches are kind of like, Oh, keep that in house, man. Like, you know, this isn't about you in the starting lineup now, but if he's accurate about that and he is starting alongside Jarvis Landry would assume as the number two receiver, it means two very important things. He's going to have to continue to be a third down playmaker for Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's going to look his way when in doubt, he continues to show that. And he's also going to have to take stress off Jarvis Landry. And that is what I think is most important here. He, someone is going to have to step up when Jarvis now is going to be treated like Odell, not because he's going to be used like Odell. We'll get to that later. But now all the secondary's attention is on Jarvis Landry. You're not scared of these other guys. So step up and continue to be that guy Baker can rely on and take the stress off Jarvis Landry. It's a lot to ask for Richard Higgins now, who just had his first career 100-yard game. That kind of thing, what you said, Ellis, of like Richard kind of like claiming the starting job in an interview. I would imagine maybe that's the kind of stuff that contributes to him being inactive sometimes the last, the last couple of years. But Scott, like now that he is playing, and I, he is just like a fan favorite. Do you, Scott, have faith in him? Like, listen, hey, however it happened, his role is here. Scott, do you believe he will be a significant part of the offense the rest of this season? I do. I don't think performing when he gets on the field has been the big issue with him. It's just been getting on the field. Um, even when uh, he wasn't getting a lot of snaps earlier in the season, he had a touchdown catch. You know, he, he just finds the ball and Baker kind of finds him. And I think you get him on the field for more reps and I think he'll fit in definitely better than the other two options that, that Ellis is going to talk about here. I, I'm not expecting obviously a, a copy of Odell, but I think Higgins can get the job done. All right. So what's, what, do you have a question? Do you have a doubt? What's the thing that you are maybe perhaps the most concerned about when it comes to Higgins Ellis? Yeah. So this teases off what we talked about last week with Higgins and, and it's something I'm, I think we've kind of landed on and on got to watch the tape is this, this theory, this concept of leveling up. Can Rashard Higgins be the next young Browns player to, to level up? We have seen Wyatt Teller do it. We've seen Miles Garrett take it to a King him type level. And we're wondering now if Baker Mayfield headed that same way. Rashard Higgins is in that same camp now with Baker. Are they leveling up together in a way? Because here's the issue, though, and why Baker and Higgins are in two very different spots, despite possibly leveling up at the same time. Teams are going to have tape on Higgins now. And I know he had plenty of snaps in 18 and whatnot, but when you get enough evidence on a receiver, you start to learn their tendencies. You start to figure out how their, their shoulders move, where their fakes come from. And this is more specific to defensive backs than it is defensive coordinators as a whole. These DBs get assignments like, all right, you need to learn this young man's moves. It's, it's a lot like basketball. All right. This guy, he, when he switches to his left hand, he only dribbles it once or twice before it's either going back to his right or he's shooting. It's those same type of tendencies. And 
the stuff in between the duels of the wide receiver and cornerback that these wide receiver or these DBs are now going to be studying. So I could see teams now after just watching that Bengals game, testing Higgins short game by, all right, let's see if he can get out of his cut that quickly. Let's see if he can get across the field as quickly and let's not allow him to play physical and be up on him. Like he wants us to be, you know, receivers like that, like the contact, they like the space because then they can separate because they know their speed can't do that for them. They need you to get close to then have you separate. If you give him some cushion and then can break on balls by figuring out his routes. I mean, I wouldn't surprise me if Baker has some turnovers headed when targeting Richard Higgins, because you're going to start having stuff get taken away from you that they've been so consistently hitting on. And that's what I'm wondering about with Higgins. When the book is now being written on you, what are your counter moves? And he hasn't really had a chance to show those counter moves because like we've been saying, he hasn't gotten on the field. All right, let's go to the guy who I think is second most interesting here, which is Kadero Hodge. Scott, just to, to help Ellis set up a little bit here, he just he just appeared late in camp last year, right? I mean, this is it's interesting how kind of important he became this season because it didn't feel like a huge deal. He got here from the Rams, right, when he showed up a year ago? Yeah, it was weird because we spent all camp wondering who the bottom – uh, who would make the bottom part of the wide receiver depth chart. And then it was nobody because they went out and brought in Hodge and Taewon Taylor right there at the end. And, and those were the guys who, who were at the bottom there. And Hodge really was a, a special teams uh, focused pickup because he had, that'd been his thing with the Rams. I think he's still, even at this point has nine career catches. So he's not really a guy who's got a ton of work at wide receiver, but he's a guy that uh, the special teams uh, coordinator is going to love because he, he just does everything right there. So, him stepping into that number three guy, this training camp was kind of a surprise to everybody because he really wasn't someone we figured was a candidate for that. But as we thought, saw through the first uh, few games, he was, he was the number three guy out there with Odell and Jarvis. So he's now coming back from injury. So Ellis, what have you seen as a receiver from Cadero Hodge so far this season? Yeah, this is going to be fascinating to see how this unfolds with Cordero Hodge. Scott, you said something that I think is really important and sort of teases why he's, been plugged into this offense at least before his injury you said how he's a guy special teams coaches love because he does everything right watching the tape and you you gotta understand this guy had three catches this season one catch versus the Ravens for 12 yards two catches versus the Bengals for 39 yards played 55 percent of snaps in week one 57 percent of snaps in week two and 56 percent of snaps in week three so really only playing half the game but what I'm trying to say is when he was on the field I saw a professional receiver. I saw a receiver that can play the entire game and run most of the route tree. You know, he's not, a, he's not a slot receiver. So I need to make that distinction. He's not a complete receiver in that sense, but as an outside receiver, he can threaten you deep. He had some nice deep outs, which is a route that Kevin Stefanski really relies on in third and long or second and in, in, in long where he needs some easy, uh, big chunk yards when you're the cornerback is bailing in a, a cover three look and you have a guy with speed threatening you outside Cordell Hodge twice had this season has just broke that route out and been there for 11 12 yard gain and that impressed me on tape so despite the ball not coming his way you guys I really liked what I saw with his hips his, his footwork and his vertical speed but that is the issue is it's a small sample size and not a lot of receptions. 
So it feels like when you talk about these three receivers, Higgins is like this guy who kind of has been good in roles and maybe some weird stuff, whatever, personality practice stuff that kept him off the field. Donovan Peoples-Jones is just a rookie, so we don't know much about him yet. Hodge is the guy that I think I'm worried the most about, like, don't ask too much of him or you're going to blow the chances of him being anything, right? It's the constant thing of maybe this is a guy in a role Hey, when he's the third guy and you're just asking a bit here and there, here and there, he is a professional receiver. He can do it. But man, I don't know if all of a sudden you put a lot more on his plate. He's the guy that I would be asking, man, now are you going to just like totally lose any effectiveness from him because he can't handle more? Scott, is, is that in your head at all? Or do you believe in Kaderil Hodge? You know, I, well, the reason I picked Higgins to be the guy that to, to step into that vacated role is because Nobody seems to, nobody else seems to think Hodge is, is worth giving him that kind of shot. I mean, he's not like a guy who drops a lot of, he's one drop, 19 career targets. So it's not like he's had that sort of issue. I think it's probably a numbers game. I mean, who, who is he going to beat out with the Rams when he was there? And, you know, here he comes here and you got Odell and Jarvis, and obviously he's not going to push anybody out there. What This is a, a an offense that uses two wide receivers most of the time. So having him kind of, get a lot of playing time just didn't make a lot of sense and changing his role, which he even tweeted out after the second game, if I have to block to be on the field, I'll block. So he understands what he's here for. And I think we're probably going to see the same kind of thing from Cadero Hodge, which is not a ton, but maybe even in small sample size, it's going to be good stuff. I would imagine maybe we're Ellis, we're getting ready to hear that. Maybe you believe a little bit more that he can handle an expanded role. What do you think? Yeah, Doug, that's where we're headed, and you're, you're, and the way you, you, what you said before Scott went in there is you're not going to like where I'm going with this. And it's what makes this wide receiver group so fascinating to watch both this week and then after the bye, because I think that bye week they're going to figure a lot of this out. I think they're kind of flying blind a little bit right now, to tell you the truth, with Odell's absence. I think Cordero Hodge is going to be asked to play the Odell Beckham Jr. role, and it's because he's the only player on this roster capable of. Let me give you the measurables, measurables of Cordero Hodge. Six foot two, 205 pounds, four, four, 40 speed. And he looks it on tape when he's running these backside posts. Go if <laughs> Browns fans, if you're, if you are nerdy about this stuff, like we are, and you're listening and got to watch the tape, you probably are. And you've got some free time. Go watch the Washington game. You're not going to see Cordero Hodge get the ball at all, but you're going to watch this young man race down the field. You're going to see him running backside posts, with great acceleration and it, it, you have to, if you're watching all 22 at times, I had to really squint and figure out which one was Odell Beckham jr. And which one was Hodge because they both are separating and getting deep at that type of, with that type of velocity that I couldn't tell which one's which you can tell when Jarvis Landry's trying to get deep. You can tell when Rashard Higgins is trying to get deep. I couldn't tell which one was Beckham and which one was Hodge. And that is what makes this so interesting to me is because he's the only player on the roster that I think is capable of threatening the defense deep in the way that Kevin Stefanski needs to, in order to open up stuff underneath for his tight ends and now Jarvis in the slot. But again, it's sample size. It's proven. He's yet to do that, but I think he's going to be the one asked to both on Sunday and assuming that goes decent going forward. I know what you're saying there. There are times I've had people tell me this. Well, they'll, they will see a photo and they'll have to squint and they can't tell if it's me or Ryan Reynolds. And it's like, I can't, they look so. So then what's the question, Ellis? Is your only question with Hodge 
sample size that he's looked good at, but you just don't know when you expand it? I mean, is that it, that you believe in the skills and the professionalism that everything else is there? Uh, Doug, there's actually a lot of questions and in a way maybe I buried my lead here because there's two things about receivers. They can look the part. They look great getting off the bus. They look great in warmups. Then you put, a, put them on the field and when the ball doesn't come their way, they look fast. They're like, oh, I would have been open on that backside post had you looked my way, but I'm the fourth option. So you threw it to Odell or Austin Hooper or Kareem Hunt. Like, what the heck? Now those options aren't quite there. No Hooper, no Beckham. So my question is, can he make downfield plays? There is a difference between just running straight and hitting your post and taking two guys with you at times and then actually fighting for position, stacking your corner, beating the safety on an angle, positioning yourself for the football, either going up for the ball, running under the ball, securing the catch and going to the ground. I mean, these are a, it is a five, six step process just after you make your initial post break or your, your vertical stack. It, there is so much to figure out about Cordero Hodge. And again, I guess in a way that does come down to sample size just because we haven't seen it, but look, you can't ask him to make these spectacular catches that Odell Beckham Jr. Makes downfield, but can he be a professional receiver that gives a threat to the defense that he can beat you deep? That's what he's going to have to fill because to be clear, he's not filling the Odell Beckham Jr. Role as a reverse taker as a pass thrower and trick plays. No one's doing that. We talked about that on Tuesday's got to watch the tape and Kevin's fancy said it. It's going to take multiple players to do this, but the specific role that Odell played in this offense, threatening the defense deep, opening stuff up underneath and being counted upon on some of those deep balls. That's what I think he's going to be asked to do. And I just don't know if he's done it yet because I haven't seen it. I'm almost positive Hodge was a quarterback in high school and wanted to go to college as a quarterback. So he played quarterback, so maybe, yeah. but we just haven't seen it, like you said. Right, there you go. Don't let that, that that's, that's Stefanski's little secret. Don't let that get out. I was going to say, hopefully the Raiders coaching staff hasn't already gotten a guy to watch the tape, because Scott's, Scott's – I'm almost positive he was going to Alcorn State, and then he left there and because he, he realized quarterback wasn't in his future, so he, he left and became a wide receiver at junior college or whatever. Okay. Trying to think back to the research I did on him earlier this season. So you're predicting a reverse pass touchdown, Kadero Hodge to there you go <laughs> to David and Joku. Coming. The end zone. There you go. All right, third guy on the list is Donovan Peoples Jones. I was a I don't know if believer on draft day was the, is the right word, but certainly intrigued on draft day because of everything that he went through in his recruitment. That Ohio State really wanted him. He went to Michigan. There's not a lot good happening with the Michigan passing game the past couple of years. It felt like maybe he got wasted there. Great kind of take a shot with the sixth rounder loved every part of that and I wouldn't say that I'm a doubter at the moment I'm just a kind of a eh, as a rookie I'm not sure that I really believe he's going to be consistently capable of anything before Ellis dives in Scott what's your general vibe on DPJ right now wow I'd be surprised if we see him as much as we saw him last week I think you have Higgins and Hodge uh, we have Hodge back this week so I think people's Jones goes back to a kind of reserve role He's returning kicks, and that might be the only time we see him. That's what I'm expecting. All right, so Ellis, as you set up sort of what he's done so far, did you, I mean, did you consider any college stuff with him? He only has a couple games of NFL tape, or did you just look at him and as a Brown so far? I went back and watched some of the college uh, tape that I went through when we were building those draft profiles, and, you know, I was kind of, I, we all, like, we all kind of assumed the Browns would target a receiver in the draft, and Peoples-Jones was someone that, um, I, I looked at it and thought they'd be go higher. And when he was there in the sixth, 
Um, you do that deep dive again and you see a lot of the same stuff that really showed up in the Bengals game of him being an athlete, but he's so raw. He's he's an incredibly raw receiver right now that they don't ask to do much other than verticals and deep crosses. You know, the the simple stuff get under the backer and over the second backer, the outside boundary backer, just run straight and Baker's going to put a ball in your lap somehow for a game winner. Not trying to downplay that, but what I'm trying to say here is what Donovan Peoples-Jones has shown me so far based on both the college tape, like Doug just said, and his short stint here so far in Cleveland, is that he's an athlete, he's raw, but when asked to have a heightened role, he, he can provide service. He's serviceable right now as, as a rookie, as a six-round pick. He played 44% of snaps versus Dallas. Then in week five and week six, those went down to 14%, 10 plays versus Indy, and only three plays versus Pittsburgh. The thing to keep in mind is that Dallas game, Cordero Hodge was a surprise scratch, hurting his hamstring in warmups, then forcing people Jones into the lineup. And then in week seven, plays 69% of snaps, uh, 36 plays because of the unforeseen injury to Odell Beckham Jr. So, Scott, it, it's, it's almost as if you watch tape and no numbers and, and follow data with your prediction <laughs> that DPJ might not play that much now that they're prepared to be thinner at wide receiver because – when given time to prepare, he has not been a part of this team's game plan. So it felt like he caught the the touchdown pass. Was that an Odell route that if Odell was in the game, Odell would have caught, caught the game-winning touchdown pass for Baker or no? I'm, I'm so glad we're talking about this because there's two things I want to really quickly go over with that final drive. The first play, Brown fans, go back and rewatch that. Baker should have been sacked, and that game probably should have been over. The Bengals brought a overload left corner blitz, and number 21, the Bengals DB curved it inside and had Baker just right in his sights, right in his sights. And Baker somehow sidestepped him and just threw kind of a sidearm ball to DPJ who ran a slant, but, you know, broken play and keeps that drive going. So from the booth, I didn't realize how close of a sack that was. That game should have been over. It's just remarkable. And then to have him go win the game on that play, Doug, that's the Odell Beckham Jr. effect that we're just going to need more sample size to figure out. I wrote about that play um, with Baker's five touchdowns where the Bengals ran a robber coverage and brought the high, they, they were showing too high safety and then brought a robber safety down like the Steelers did when they picked, when Mika Fitzpatrick picked off Baker, thinking that they, the Browns were going to try and throw to the middle of the field or something. And when you do that, you have one, now one-on-one outside coverage with people's Jones and he's able to get that reception and win the game. The reason I'm going to say this. Yes, I think that was Odell Beckham's route that DPJ was running, but I don't think Odell Beckham Jr. catches that game-winning ball because Baker doesn't throw that because there's no way with the game on the line the any defensive coordinator is going to leave Odell Beckham Jr. one-on-one on the outside and play that Robert coverage. So does that make sense? The domino effect is they don't care that DPJ is out there, so they play a different coverage and give him one-on-one, and that ends up being what beats them. I think it's an incredible domino effect. No, absolutely. Like it almost makes it easier to throw some of these deep shots because Odell's not there because they won't defend it as much. Even though the guy you're throwing to is far less talented, it is a weird cycle that I'm very curious to see how this might unfold. Scott, what do you what do you think? Are you, are you arguing that they're better without Beckham? I, is that what you're doing right now? No, no, no. And I'm right. I mean, I know. I mean, first of all, they're millionaires. They'll be fine. Second of all, no, I'm not. But I think the domino effect of all this 
because he's not there, then this happens, which means this happens, which means this happens, which means this happens, which might mean there's four guys around Jarvis Landry every time he runs a route, right? So it's it, there are going to be bad effects, but that part of it, right, the deep shots might be – Baker might be more willing to take them, and they might hit a few more because defenses won't be as worried about them. So I think – the reason I asked if that was Odell's route, Ellis, is because I think maybe people watched – Donovan Peoples-Jones catch that ball and then are thinking to themselves, he's the guy who takes over a lot of those deep shots that Odell would have run. Like, is that going to be true or do you not see that role working out for him? Right. I see why fans think that throw on his Michigan tape. We, we already said it. You see an explosive athlete, the measurables on Donovan Peoples-Jones, six foot two, 212 pounds, 4.8, 40 speed, 4.48, sorry, 4.48, 40 yard speed, impressive downfield athlete. I can see why fans get excited just with the idea of this young man taking that next step, but I'm here to tell you it's all premature and it's exactly what Scott sees at the top of this, his role going forward. I'm projecting is he's not going to have one. And it, it is shown in the game plans where they don't, the Browns aren't throwing a curveball at the receiver position. He has not been a part of that game plan. Again, they're only asking to run verticals and deep crossing routes, teams will eliminate that. And if you can't run a complete route tree, for the most part, in Kevin Stefanski's offense, he's going to go with other guys who can. And the third thing about this is that he just doesn't yet have the the vertical feel as a, a great vertical route runner. Um, the, the, the Browns had a free play versus the Bengals. When I was watching the tape, it, it stood out to me. Uh, the Bengals jumped off sides, and Baker just threw an outside vertical to DPJ. And it just was a bad route. He got pushed to the sideline, nowhere for Baker to throw the ball. And it's an incomplete pass. Didn't matter free play. But the point is, is if you have like two routes in your tree and one of them, you don't even run that well. And the game winner was, you know, not other than you getting your feet in bounds. The route wasn't all that special. Anyway, the DB actually had some pretty good position on you. It just, he missed the ball. Your, your role in this offense will be diminished. And that's not me saying he won't play a fair amount on Sunday. I'm not sure. But I can pro- I'm very confident in the fact that when Austin Hooper comes back, Harrison Bryant will be used more as a receiver, and that's really going to take any opportunity for DPJ off the field. He, he won't be there. So as we wrap this up, when they have two receivers on the field, let's say it's Jarvis and Higgins, who's running a vertical route if there is one called there? Is Jarvis going to get some of these Odell routes are they just not going to run as many of those type of routes or is it Higgins or will it only be when Hodge is in the game that they even run those kind of routes? I'm, and, and, and that's part of it too, is again, making up for Odell. I'm, I'm curious, like how much, uh, how much Jarvis's world changes, not just in terms of how much attention he'll get from defenses, but do the Browns use him any differently with Odell gone? Yeah, Doug, it's a tough question because here's – and Richard saying he's starting is so interesting because now I'm just wondering, like, are they starting three receivers and actually Hodge is the number two, so they'll have Hodge and Jarvis because at least Cordell Hodge can run those vertical threatening routes in 12 personnel where if it's Jarvis and Higgins, I don't think either of those two put a threat or fear in the defense that they're going to beat you deep. Now, I will say this about Jarvis Landry. He's immensely respected in this league. He's obviously – a leader in this locker room and within the coaching staff has immense respect for him. I wouldn't be shocked if they give Jarvis a chance 
at some vertical balls, even though we don't see that often, just, just saying, all right, Jarvis, we're going to respect you and we're going to treat you like a quote unquote number one. Now here is a few vertical shots. If they don't go well early, I, I, I see them scrapping that because it's just never been Jarvis's game, but I could see sort of some football respect earning Jarvis some of those chances though. I don't, he's just not built like that type of receiver. He's intermediate. He's a, he's a route craftsman. He's not a, a deep threat. Neither is Higgins. I think it's Hodge who does that. And I just, I, that's why, where my concern comes in is that this team ultimately has lost all of its deep explosiveness without Odell Beckham Jr. All right. To wrap this up, Scott, then just if we're zeroing in mostly on Hodge and Higgins as the options here, just uh, Scott, as you see the balance, what's your sort of expectation? And I think Ellis makes a very good point by week, figure it out. Everything could change, but this is a big one Sunday. This would be quite a a good win for them on Sunday. How do you think it's going to work Sunday with Higgins and Hodge? If you had to guess Scott, I think starting is one thing. How many snaps you play is another. So he could be talking about the first 15 snaps, you know, and he's out there, but, uh, but I, I do, I do think it will be Higgins and Landry. If they open up with two, really the, <laughs> the big thing is this team has to run the ball. So they don't have to have a bunch of uh, receivers on the field a lot. And maybe Higgins is Higgins and Landry are blocking. And, and that's how they're producing for this team more than, than catching the ball. That that's ideally what this team does on, on Sunday against a really bad Raiders defense. But I think it's going to be Higgins and Landry, and then Hodge comes in at the role he's always been in because that way everything really stays the same, except you're plugging one person, I guess, kind of into what Odell was doing instead of changing what Hodge does and then changing what, what Higgins has done. So it, it just makes more sense to me that you would kind of keep Hodge where he is and, and you bring Higgins in to the, to the open spot. All right. So by next week after this Raiders game, which will give us plenty of time to then analyze what did happen and then to predict how we think this will unfold in the second half of the season, because there are times when you kind of got to patch stuff and get by, but Chubb's coming back, Hooper's coming back, and they're going to have a chance to sort of take a full reevaluation of here are our guys. Now we know who we're going to have. What are we going to do? And maybe they go back to the Dan lobby plan of Kareem hunt wide receiver. Maybe not. Okay. Ellis, thank you for that dive on how they're going to replace Odell Beckham. We will be back after this break on Gotta Watch the Tape with Scott Patsko and the Browns linebackers. We appreciate you guys listening. All right, back on Gotta Watch the Tape. Linebackers, it's, we've talked about them. We talked about them in very in-depth with Scott on an early Gotta Watch the Tape, but, but they are back to the forefront again, Scott. Part of your interest in this, I would imagine, is exactly kind of the matchup here with the Raiders, correct? That this is, this yes. is a game where we really are going to really see where the Browns linebackers are. Yeah, it's that, and there's been some changes. It was the very first podcast where we talked about this, by the way, and that was after the Bengals game, and we've had some changes in who's getting snaps since then, and we've had some changes in who's available since then. So, yeah, this is a good time to, to kind of get back into that. Five weeks after... I guess there's been a couple big developments. First, we got to start with Malcolm Smith and Sione Takitaki because we saw from week one to week two, Smith started to get an increase in snaps, and we figured that he was going to be the guy who maybe looked, got more looks in coverage, and that's, and that's happened. Takitaki, meanwhile, has really gone the other way. Um, he started every game except the Colts game, but his snaps have decreased. He played 92% of the snaps in week one. He hasn't been above 50% except for one game since then, and it was Washington, so it's been a while. He had 12 defensive snaps on Sunday, which is the season low. Meanwhile, he's been on special teams 
21 snaps on special teams, at least over the last three weeks. So they're really kind of moving him away from the, the main rotation at linebacker. And Malcolm Smith is really starting to get more of those snaps because Malcolm Smith is, is really better at coverage. He's the best coverage linebacker the Browns have. Taki Taki is good against the run, but he's really struggled in coverage. And like I said, Smith is, if you're comparing him to the rest of the Browns linebackers, you can say he excels there, but maybe not to the rest of the league in general. He's the Browns best linebacker in coverage grade from PFF. Uh, and he's got the third best defensive grade overall. He's third. He's 11th among linebackers uh, in coverage grade, at least among guys who played at least four games. So he's done well, but overall defensively coverage wise, the whole entire league is kind of down this year because of all the offense that is going on. So in a normal year, he, maybe he wouldn't be so high, but, but he's done well so far. That hasn't stopped teams from targeting him, though, because he is sixth in coverage snaps per target. He's seeing almost six a game. Another change is the return of Mac Wilson. We don't really know how healthy he is. Joe Wood said this week he's still not 100%, and he's basically grading across the board similar to what we saw last year, which is not good. Basically, replacement level across the board. So he started the last two weeks. We've seen Taki Taki, BJ Goodson, and Mac Wilson on the field to start both these games, which is kind of what we thought we'd see from what we saw early on in training camp. It was those three guys, and that's what it's been. But Wilson is, is kind of rotated out quickly. He's getting well below 50% of the snaps. Um, and if you were waiting for a big jump from Mac Wilson this year, it doesn't seem to be happening. Um, and again, it's Joe Wood says he's getting close to where he needs to be, but, but it's certainly not enough to, to show in his play. That leaves B.J. Goodson, who is pretty much the same guy we uh, kind of dumped all over in the first podcast. Um, he started every game. He's a solid tackler. He can't cover anybody, even though he's been out there for already at this point in the season, more cover snaps than he's ever played in the season. He has the two picks, although last week's was really a gift. He's the second most targeted player in coverage on the Browns behind Terrence Mitchell. And he's the most targeted linebacker in the NFL this season. In the NFL? In, in the, the NFL? NFL? In the NFL, oh my! His 197 God. yards allowed after the catch is fifth most among linebackers. So, again, it's the same thing we talked about on the earlier podcast with B.J. Goodson. It's he's a good tackler. He's just not great in coverage, but he's out there all the time, so he's just getting a bunch of those snaps. And then Jacob Phillips really hasn't been a factor. He's been hurt. He has 38 snaps. Tay Davis just 18. So the big takeaways are that Malcolm Smith has kind of emerged as their coverage guy. Taki Taki has kind of disappeared. Mac Wilson has been ineffective. And really last week's Bengals game, like it was bad for the defense as a whole and the linebackers, Smith, Goodson and Wilson had three of the, the worst five worst grades on the Browns. So it was just, it was just a bad week. Taki Taki was actually at backup level, like the slimmest of margins. And, and that was it. Everybody else was just, you know, pretty, pretty bad. The final thing I wanted to mention though, uh, for all the praise we give Smith for being his ability to cover. He's had his two worst games against the Bengals, 10 targets, 10 catches, an average of 8.4 yards against, and eight of those catches were by tight ends and running backs. So that's kind of where we stand through, uh, through seven games. A lot of things have changed and nothing has changed. So I get caught up too much. I'll admit it, but I think some fans do too. I get caught too much in draft position and expectations related to draft position. And it was easy to lump together Taki and Taki, Taki Taki and Mac Wilson last year. Cause they drafted them both, but all Mac Wilson was always much more of a flyer. Listen, man, you take a guy in the fifth round. I don't know. That's fine. 
Sione Takitaki was the 80th pick in the draft. That's a third round pick. That is not unreasonable to expect like this is a person that should help us. So I had not realized it. But to now, again, look at the snaps from week one to week seven. It goes from 54, 41, 41, 29, 15, 21, 12. Are we losing Sione Takitaki? Like is this and that's you got to win. It's about winning. I get it third round picks miss sometimes but this to me feels disappointing ellis of like this guy was a third round pick you hope maybe something was there and the more we get into the season the less he is playing yeah i mean i'm, I'm pretty confident that if andrew barry and kevin Stefanski were redrafting in, in talking talkies year he's just not a player that would be on their board for the most part uh, he he's, has proven that he doesn't have the lateral quickness to play sideline to sideline i i'm it's i'm unsure if perhaps the regime that drafted Taki Taki thought they could bring him in here and have him develop that type of quickness. Um, of course, he's a, a he's a downhill physical player. We've said that before, but when you're getting more time in a system and your snap count is depleting as your experience in that system grows, that's the wrong trajectory. And that's what I'm really worried about with Taki Taki as his future with this team and just the Browns options at linebacker in general as they had entered the back half of their schedule. Okay. So we want to get into Sunday because Sunday's a big game. The Raiders are going to stress these guys, but as we always say, a foot in the present, a foot in the future, what you are laying out here, Scott. Okay. So Jacob Phillips has been hurt and we maybe don't have a great read on him, but it feels like going into 2021, are there any answers at linebacker or is this like, again, going to be a full off-season reset of trying to figure out a whole new group of dudes for next season. Yeah, I mean, if, if Jacob Phillips was the only linebacker coming back next season, that wouldn't be a surprise. I yeah. think uh, they clearly need to do something a little different at the position, especially, and again, Grant, Grant Delpit, I think, kind of factors into this a little bit. He's obviously not a linebacker, but he's a guy who would have kind of assumed would be on the field, maybe doing some of the things that these linebackers have to do think that we'd probably see three safeties on the field, maybe a little more. Joe Woods kind of teased to that uh, before the season, how he'd like that look, um, which is similar to what we saw last year a lot with the Browns. So that I think has created his absence has kind of created the situation where maybe you have to have some linebackers playing in roles that they're not really suited for. And we saw in camp how they wanted to kind of have guys do a lot of different things. They kept saying they were cross-training everybody to try and learn everything, but it's clear that each of these guys has one thing that they can kind of do and nobody really has something, you know, there's no guy here that does a lot of things well. All right. So if we see this BJ Goodson stuff and we know historically he's not been a coverage guy and now he's being asked to cover more and being thrown at more than any linebacker in the league, it's not like the Browns don't realize that the Browns must are making this are making a choice here because of they feel like they don't have any other options. They feel like what B.J. Goodson does against the run, they're willing to sacrifice what he can't do against the pass. But this is going to get crystallized a little bit, Scott, with what the Raiders have at tight end, what they have at running back. Man, if the Raiders want to throw to Waller anyway, they really are going to want to throw to Waller whenever B.J. Goodson's supposed to be defending him. Yeah, and really, B.J. Goodson isn't so much taking guys off the line and, and tracking them on routes. It's more like, uh, kind of dropping into coverage and they know that they kind of throw into his zone. He's not going to get there too quick. So that that's really uh, what we see a lot of from Goodson. But as far as the Raiders go, yeah, Waller, he kind of picked up where he left off last season. He had 90 catches for 1,000 
145 yards, somehow didn't make the Pro Bowl. He was a sixth-round pick of the, Ra- of the Ravens, and the Raiders signed him off the practice squad. Ozzie Newsome in, in tight ends. Like, that guy has like, laid the foundation for how to, how to draft a good tight end in the NFL, it seems. But this season, Waller leads the Raiders in targets, catches, receiving yards. He's second to Travis Kelsey in tight end targets and third behind Kelsey and George Kittle in yards after the catch. So again, he's not just uh, not just catching. He's actually doing something with the ball once he gets it, which as we said earlier, has been kind of an issue for, for some of the Browns uh, in the middle of the field. It's a linebacker position. Uh, big statement game was week two against the saints. He had 16 targets, 12 catches for 105 yards and a touchdown that kind of opened everybody's eyes, eyes to him. The Raiders also have a running back, Josh Jacobs, who's third on the team in targets. He's roughly got about the total that, that Kareem Hunt has catching on the backfield. It's not like they throw to him all the time, but he is able to do that. And like I said, he's third on the team in target. So they don't move Jacobs around very much, but they certainly do with Waller. He has most, obviously most of his snaps at, at uh, inline tight end, but 70 of his snaps have been out wide 59 in the slot for comparison. Austin Hooper has been out eight, 18 snaps out wide this season. So they really move Waller around a lot. So obviously that creates matchups and you put that against a, Browns defense that is giving up 40 catches to tight ends this season, which is six months in, in the league. Not as bad as it was early in the season, but it's still, still an issue. 37 catches to running backs, which is in the top half of the league. So I would expect those guys to see a lot of targets against the Browns. Uh, one thing that maybe puts a little fear into Browns fans last week, Buccaneers have linebacker Levante David, who's actually fifth in coverage grade this year uh, among linebackers. He was first last season. So a guy who good linebacker who can cover people. He gave up six catches on six targets between Waller and Jacobs, three each, including a touchdown to Waller. He had like his worst game uh, of the season by far. So that's what they did to him last week. And now he gets the Browns. Okay. Darren Waller might have 11 catches for 148 yards and it's fine. The Browns shut down other stuff. It's you know, they don't get killed by Henry Ruggs. They shut down the run game with Josh Jacobs and it's okay. Or Darren Waller might convert like six third downs by himself, catch two touchdowns and murder them. Ellis, like, do you, does, does this issue Ellis feel like something that could be a major reason the Browns lose on Sunday that like, they can't cover this guy. He's a great tight end. It's a weakness they have. And the result is the Raiders kind of moving the ball at will through their tight end. Yeah, Doug. um, I'm really worried about this. Um, in between or after, I should say, watching every Cordell Hodge snap I could find, I started watching uh, Raiders Bucks tape. And yeah, it was not a good afternoon for the Raiders offense, but this is going to be the first offense the Browns defense plays that is really disciplined and knows exactly what they want to do. And listeners might be like, well, what? They just played the Ravens and they played the Steelers. It's that's not a knock on those offenses, but sometimes the Steelers just call plays, you know, they might get a call in and then big Ben changes it. And now it's a bubble screen off of option, or they're trying to throw something quick across the middle and they throw it three times. And before you know it, they're going three out and punting. John Gruden has a very specific brand of football. He wants to play. He's an expert at the linebacker position because he knows how to manipulate them with play action. The Buccaneers have two of the best linebackers in football, which is a large reason why, they were not successful last week. So think about that being in the Raiders offense. You go from facing the best duo in football at the linebacker position in Tampa to now the, probably the worst linebacking group in Cleveland. It's, it's going to be a tough afternoon. And I think an important stat to, to put a bow on this Gruden point about just 
how disciplined he is as a play caller is when they beat the Chiefs this year, the Raiders had the ball for 11 minutes longer. The Raiders offense had the ball longer for 11 minutes longer than the Chiefs, despite only running one additional play. To me, that that just tells you that Gruden is comfortable in second and eight. He's comfortable in third and four. And then he's comfortable going forward on fourth and one if he needs to and moving the chains. And that is how you build a methodical offense that can both pick on the slower lack of coverage skills with Darren Waller and crossing routes. And then you also can just get this defense tired, which we've seen like in the Dallas game, this defense can get tired when they're drained like this. So Doug, I'm worried. And, and Scott set it up for just kind of made the red light go off in my head. Like, well, I know we submitted our Raiders Browns picks before this pod, but I'm feeling it a lot better about my pick because this is a matchup nightmare for the Browns this week. So Scott, I mean, it really feels like you're describing like a Kelsey light here or whatever, like what, what Waller's skills are. And I don't know, would this have been like a Grant Delpit game? Like, a, hey, Grant Delpit, go down and try to erase Darren Waller a little bit. Is there something they can do, Scott? Will Joe Woods have a plan that is beyond, hey, our linebackers aren't very good. Just try to cover them. Do your best. Like what, what, else, what could the Browns do? If Waller really is the engine of this Raiders offense, can Joe Woods try something different to slow him down? Yeah, get a bunch of turn, turnovers and hope for the best. No. Joe Woods said he has a plan uh, for Waller. He didn't say what it is, but I have to think it might be similar to what the Patriots did in week three. That was the only team that I guess you could say contained him. Uh, he had four targets, two catches that week. Patriots won one of the, the, one of the losses for the Raiders, and it kind of showed how Bill Belichick, again, is able to take away you know, another team's best weapon. And they certainly did it that day. Patriots basically kept their linebackers away from Waller. Uh, every other team, it's been kind of a, of a rotation. I think the Saints, the Saints covered him with 10 different people on routes. And at least two people at each level were involved in coverage. So everywhere from defensive ends all the way back to safety. But the, the Patriots decided basically to keep their linebackers away from him. He ran 30 routes against the Patriots, had nine different players covering him. Only one was a linebacker, and that was for one snap. What they did basically was use their linebackers to kind of chip or push Waller, and then a safety would kind of pick them up. The blind because the Patriots linebackers, believe it or not, are having just as rough, if not more rough, a year than the Browns linebackers are because you don't have high tower. Collins is gone, so they're they're kind of having a rough season at linebacker. But they kept him away from them, and uh, there was double teams. They have a safety over the top. Um, and there was a lot of disguising things like that. But the problem here is that, you know, bumping Waller with a linebacker and handing him off to like Devin McCourty is a lot different than bumping him and handing him off to Andrew Sandejo um, or even Carl Joseph, as we've seen earlier in the season. So, you know, do the Browns have the talent and the communication ability to do that? I think the presence of Ronnie Harrison helps that situation a little bit, but I think it would be smart to maybe try that first and keep your linebackers away from from Waller and try to have your best matchups be with, with safeties and, and maybe even corners. It's funny. Ohio state has a similar thing this week. They're playing Penn state and Penn state's best offensive weapon is a tight end. Pat Fryermuth, who's probably going to be a second round pick next year. And there are questions about Ohio state's linebackers. And we're very curious how Ohio state's going to go. How are you going to try to defend this guy? Do you try something different? So I'm very curious. This will be a nice little test for Joe Woods, right? We're really going to find something out. Ellis, what do you think here? Yeah, this is, uh, Scott, I'm so glad you dived into that Patriots game because it's going to be a fascinating domino effect as to how they decide to guard Waller 
because it, I'm pretty sure in that Patriots game, Henry Ruggs was not a part of the, their, their game plan yet. He was either still hurt or not getting the snaps he was now. Now that he, him and Nelson Aguilar have kind of found a groove, um, the Raiders have completed like six of their last 10 deep balls in the, over the past two weeks. They only tried uh, 10 deep balls over four games prior to that. So what I'm trying to explain to listeners here is if you decide to stop Waller with a safety, check him with a backer, have a safety hit him, you're now allowing one-on-one outside on, say, Henry Ruggs and Terrence Mitchell. I don't know if that's the best plan for the Browns. You just have a guy beat you deep for 48 yards quick. Um, and then, like you said, Scott, even if you do give him safety help, Sendejo, Carl Joseph probably aren't the answer either. Either This is going to be a huge test for Ronnie Harrison, who could really make a, a stake in the Browns' long-term future if he plays well this week. A lot of pressure on him, but I'm just worried about the chess match there that the Patriots had an advantage of Devin McCourty and no real deep threats. And now this is a different Raiders offense that may have this Browns defense ultimately in a checkmate. And as Ellis said, Ruggs has did miss two games earlier this year, but just to reset again, what Scott was saying, the targets for the Raiders this year, Waller leads with 55 Hunter Renfro is second with 30. So he has almost twice as many targets as anybody on the roster. Josh Jacobs is running back 24, Nelson Aguilar at receiver 20, Henry Ruggs 14, Jalen Richard, the running back 13. And you're just, that's how much they lean on this dude. So I've said this before, all off season when anybody said, what about the linebackers? I said, I don't care. You can't be good everywhere. I'd rather they spend their money at offensive tackle and be good there. Listen, they had some decent linebackers last year and they weren't a very good team. So if you're going to be bad somewhere, I was okay with linebacker being the worst position on the team. I feel like this is where that opinion comes home to roost because it's not really about, are they going to stink at covering Darren Waller? It's about whether stinking at covering Darren Waller will cause them to lose. And that will be a great push and pull this week. And I'm fascinated, Scott, to see how this works out. Because again, the Browns don't play Travis Kelsey in the regular season this year. Let's look maybe, maybe wildcard weekend. Let's keep our eye on that one. Mm. They don't play George Kittle this year. I mean, this guy, right? Is this guy as good of a tight end as they're going to face all year? And, and the question is, will they lose a game that feels like a toss-up because they can't cover this guy. Yeah, I mean, well, they faced Mark Andrews early in the season, but he's a little different. Like the guys who were maybe closer to how the Raiders use Waller are like Logan Thomas with Washington. They'll yeah. split him out a lot more. And uh, the Colts had Trey Burton. They kind of did that too. But, you know, the Browns won both those games. Those guys obviously aren't anywhere near as dynamic as, as Waller has been. But I would say, yeah, at this point, this is the biggest test as far as tight ends go as long as it doesn't become something similar to what Mark Andrews did where no one wanted to cover him in the end zone <laughs> and he kept that. scoring touchdowns. And yeah, I was going to say, didn't Mark Andrews score twice? I mean, this is, this is going to be yeah. a problem. This is, this is going to be yeah. a problem Sunday, you guys. And it was and, and one of those specifically was BJ Goodson kind of handing him off to Carl Joseph and the communication getting lost there and easy touchdown. The other one I think was just totally wide open on a blown coverage. So uh, yeah, that's something the Browns don't want to see again this week. And I will say, I do think in situations like this, sometimes the best way to, de- to defend Darren Waller is to outscore their offense. It's like, what's your best defense of Darren Waller? It's Austin Hooper and Jack Conklin and Odell Beckham, which is where they spent all their money. And they just happen to be playing them in a week when they don't have 
Odell Beckham, Nick Chubb, Austin Hooper, and Wyatt Teller. And they're going to get three of those four guys back later in the year. And this just might be a tough spot where if Waller is a dude who helps the Raiders get to 31 or 34, because you can't stop him because you didn't put the money in stopping him. Do the Browns have the offense to outscore them? And maybe this is a low point with just where the, how the injuries fit together. This might be a low point in trying to outscore somebody, which is why it might be a rough week. Scott, you're shaking your head. What do you think? To say, and Miles Garrett is limping on a, a sore ankle. Um, so there's your, you know, the, uh, the tip of your pass rush kind of limping around too. So yeah, the injuries, I mean, do they, both these teams average over 30 points a game. Both of them give up over 28 points a game. So you would expect it to be high scoring. The question is, do the Browns, are the Browns able to keep up with that this week? I don't know. Right. Cause your other best Darren Waller defense is have miles Garrett hit Derek Carr before he could throw it to Darren Waller. So if that is at all limited, then again, that's once the ball is in the air and BJ Goodson is standing next to Darren Waller. It's too late. It's too late. Not where you want to be. All right. Another great deep dive there, Scott. Thanks for that. We'll have our little quick hits right after this, and then we'll finish up on got to watch the tape. All right. Back with our last quick thoughts on our Friday. Got to watch the tape again. Make sure you're subscribed to the orange and Brown talk feed five days a week. If you're not listening to the post game podcast, you're missing out. It is a great time. Everybody kind of weaves in and out. Dan Lobby is, is the tour director there. Mary Kay Cabot is there right from the start. You got to hear from her. Terry Pluto jumps in. The three of us jump in at times. Make sure you're catching that postgame podcast. Orange and Brown talk five days a week. And then, of course, got to watch the tape every Tuesday, every Friday. Ellis Williams, what's your final thought here? Yeah, it, it sort of relates to Scott's linebacker point because I'm starting to worry about the run defense of the Browns. We might have to check in on that next week. And I say that because the Bengals didn't try and run the football last week. They just didn't care. Giovanni Bernard had 13 carries. Joe Burrow was the next leading rusher with six carries. They could have gave a rip. They knew they were going to throw the ball. No Joe Mixon. Their offensive line sucks. Burrow's great in empty sets. All right, cool. The week before that, the Steelers ran the ball 20 times with James Conner for 100-plus and really controlled that entire game. Now, you can say that's because the game got away from them, early pick six, whatnot. Okay, but you still allowed a 100-yard rusher. And to me, that makes me wonder about, again, this bronze line, linebacker group, how healthy is the D-line in, in all. If teams are able to start running on this defense, we've already, we just talked at length about the back end. If they're going to, if the Raiders can come in there, because Josh Jacobs is fourth in the league in, in carries. His average is only 3.6, but Gruden is determined to give him the rock because Gruden knows it's more about rushing attempts and completions than it is necessarily yards per carry. So if Jacobs has, you know, 22 carries for 120 yards. We're going to have to come back and revisit this Browns rush defense, which we thought was a strength earlier in the year. Scott, what you got? You know, I, I wrote uh, this week about uh, who's, who's missed most by the Browns run game. Wyatt Teller or Nick Chubb. And we'll get in the results. We might talk about this a little bit next week, but I think it's really worth paying attention this week, how well the Browns do again without Wyatt Teller, because the Raiders are not great against the run. They're a little worse than the Bengals. Um, and just overall on defense, they're not great. The Browns averaged 200 yards rushing a game for the first four weeks. They've since dropped to third. That was first, by the way. They've dropped to third at 157. But over the last three weeks, it's been 93 yards per game on the ground. So we're going to see Kareem Hunt again running behind the line. He does not have Wyatt Teller. And if he struggles again, if the Browns just simply can't run on the Raiders, I think that makes that debate a little more, a little better because we got more, more, uh, more ammunition one way or the other. But I think we're going to get a little more 
insight into what really is the most important piece of the running game, Nick Chubb or Wyatt Teller. I just think I really am. I think we're all trying to prepare Browns fans for this. Listen, the Browns at the, at the bye are either going to be five and three or six and two. Both are very, very good. And I think they are going to, you guys seem to think it too. They're going to come out of the bye a different team than they go into the bye. So I just don't think Sunday will be great for the Browns, but don't freak out. Don't be like, well, they only beat the Bengals. See, I mean, listen, man, they have some really tough injuries right now. They are in a tough spot with some different things. The Raiders have a couple playmakers. It is a big game for wild card positioning, that kind of thing. But they don't have to win. It's not a must win for the Browns. It's a nice win. It's not a must win. So my thing is, and I've said this a bunch of times, I lose track of where I say things. If it, Do I say it on a Browns podcast or I say it on an Ohio State podcast? I've compared Baker Mayfield to JT Barrett at times, Justin, that sometimes I think they are hesitant to throw until they are forced to throw. JT Barrett had a miraculous comeback in the fourth quarter where he led Ohio State to victory in 2017 against Penn State. And Ohio State's playing Penn State this week. It was the best quarter he ever played in his life. He threw It was a perfect quarter, and he carried them back. Baker Mayfield had a perfect fourth quarter, finished whatever he was, 21 or 21 or 22 or 22, looked great. JT Barrett, the next week after that Penn State game, threw four picks against Iowa and they lost. And I think JT Barrett like absorbed the, like the let it rip. Look at me. And then he let it rip right into the chest of Josh Jackson three times in that game. I want my quarterback to play with confidence. I want Baker Mayfield to absorb all the good from that Cincinnati game and apply it on Sunday. I think perhaps the application of it, especially in a world where he's a going to believe they've got to outscore the Raiders. Hey, miles is limping a little bit. We got to outscore him. Hey, I can't rely on the run game because Nick's not here. Why it's not here. What am I going to do without Odell? I think Baker's got to let it rip a little bit. I think he's got to give his guys some 50, 50 balls. I think he's got to show some confidence. I don't ever want to see him throw it straight to Minka Fitzpatrick because he doesn't see the coverage. Those are not good, but if Baker throws like a couple picks, on Sunday because he's trying to make a play because he's trying to push the envelope a little bit because he's trying to feel confident because he knows if they just sit back and try to win 20 to 17 against this Raiders offense with the problems of the Browns defense, that's probably not going to work. Let's not freak out. If Baker throws a couple picks, I just think it's going to be a weird game. He's riding a high right now. Maybe he'll hit a little low and it will settle him and he'll come out of the bye in great shape. Don't freak out if he gets a little loose. Ellis, you're leaning into your microphone. Yeah, Doug, I'm just wondering, are you saying you want Baker to play strategically loose? I do, but the path to strategically loose is build confidence loose, overconfidence loose, then strategically loose. I think this might be overconfidence loose Sunday. And like, Baker, did you really need to take that 50-yard deep shot into triple coverage to Richard? It's like, I believe in my guy. And it's like, okay, well, let's not do that again. But you might have to learn a little bit on the run. He did. He learned some really good things, I thought, against Cincinnati. I think there might be some hard lessons here, but it's all in the process, and they'll come out of the bye in better shape than they went in. I'm going to have to write that equation on my whiteboard after this and get back to you. But I think I follow your equation there. I agree with it. Listen, you're a young man. And most of what I say about football, Ellis, also can be applied to life. The whole loose equation applies to every part of the human existence. Scott and Ellis, thanks for your knowledge. Thanks for all the work you guys put into this. Again, thanks to everybody who's given got to watch the tape a shot. Next week in the bye is going to be a fun time for however we go about it. Looking ahead to the second half. 
resetting from the first half. It's always kind of fun when the buy comes right in the middle of the year. You get to do eight and eight. And regardless, listeners, regardless of what happens on Sunday, the Browns are going into the buy with a winning record. And that's a good thing. Thanks to Ellis. Thanks to Scott. Thanks to you guys for listening. And thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.